0: What we're going to be talking through tonight is 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. And so uh, a few weeks ago, we taught, or I, I taught through uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, the second half, and just want to give a, a brief recap on what we talked about. Um, but Peter was talking about in chapter 1, loving all people, remember? And he was saying that in our pursuit of holiness, in the pursuit of growing our relationship with the Lord— in growing our proximity to the Lord, uh, we need to love people and care for the individual. And that the word of the Lord is the only thing that really lasts. You know, he says at the end of the chapter, um, the grass is withering and the flowers are falling, but the word of the Lord endures, right? And so Peter is continuing that thought process in chapter 2, and he's encouraging us to lay aside the things of the world, right? He's encouraging us to lay aside jealousy, to lay aside bitterness, and to start fresh with this desire for the Word, so that we may know and grow knowing that the Lord is good. Amen? That we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I know it gets hard sometimes to always desire the Lord, right? And it's easy to get sucked into the monotony of life. It's easy to get sucked into the day-to-day routines, uh, to social media or whatever have you. But in this chapter, what Peter's doing is he's really challenging us on our love for the Lord and how we pursue God over the lusts of the flesh. So you guys ready? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much just for tonight for the opportunity to be in your word to learn more of what it looks like to come after you, God, to desire your word afresh, to grow in our knowledge and understanding of you. Lord, and we just pray that the barriers that we've built up or the things in our lives that have gotten in the way of our pursuit of you and our pursuit of holiness and our deepening relationship with you, God, that those things would fade away tonight. Lord, we want to come to you afresh with a broken and contrite heart, desiring you more than anything else. So we invite your presen- presence afresh tonight. Would you meet us, Lord? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you haven't already, let's open up our Bibles to First Peter chapter 2, and uh, we'll start in verse 1. And I love how Peter starts this chapter, okay? Because he starts with a reminder that like, hey guys, it's— uh, Time to get in the Word. We need to check our hearts. There's no, like, warm-up or anything. He just comes out and he's like, hey, we're going to examine your hearts today and see what's going on and uh, see what a mess you are. So it's really good. So in verse 1, he says, Therefore, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes. Desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And so Peter is calling us to lay aside all of these things, right? To lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And what he's doing is, again, is he's speaking to the condition of our hearts. Because these are the things that get in the way of our pursuit of the Lord. And he's calling us to refocus on the word so that we can grow in the word and knowledge and understanding of who God is. And Peter's saying that, hey guys, if you as Christians, if we want to continue to grow, we have to have this honest and humble heart, willing to do the work, but also being excited about what God calls us to. And Peter here, he's not only warning us about the condition of our hearts, but he's also warning us against getting sucked into the things of the world. And he's encouraging us to embrace the character of God, knowing that he and he alone is good. Peter's not saying here like, hey guys, it's time to check all your outward boxes. Do you look nice? Do people think like, man, the way he dresses, the way that you look, you're probably a Christian. No, he's saying that it has nothing to do with our outward appearance. It's, it's about what's going on on the inside, right? Because the church isn't meant to be a country club where we show up and we act like we have it all together, Right? The church is a place for people to meet who are desiring God, who know that they're a mess. I don't know about you guys, but that is, that is me. And he's saying that we aren't going to find our worth in hypocrisy. We're not going to find our worth in envy or deceit, right? The only place that we're going to find our identity and our value and our worth is in God. God. And I think that this is really something that we need more of in today's world is that that to remember where our value comes from because there are so many things nowadays and I I think that you'd agree that strive for our attention, that pull for our focus, you know, whether it's the news, everyone's offering this false sense of, of fulfillment, right? Like, oh, if I, if I only had this, then my life would be complete. Oh, if I only had this experience, if I was only able to do this, if I was only able to see this, if I was only able to feel this, my life would be complete. And everyone has something to offer you, right? Because the reality about our culture is that it's all about sensationalism. Everyone has something to offer that excites you for a moment or Entices you emotionally, that draws you in, but we know from chapter one that that stuff doesn't last, right? That when the trials come, that when things get hard, the only thing that we can stand on and find purpose and value and grow through those times is through the Word of God. And we live in a weird time, right? Like we can just look around and know and remember that and see and be reminded of living in in a weird time. There's advertising like never before, ads like never before, there's targeted marketing on, on social media, and there's things that are trying to speak to that and evoke that sense of purpose in us, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but this has happened to me a few times in the past couple of weeks, but um, I was talking to my mom, and we're just I call my mom like once a week and we just talk. They live in, in South Carolina. And I think we ended the phone call and I was like, hey mom, like yeah, I miss you. I, I can't wait till the next time I can see you. And she's like, Yeah, me neither. Hang up the phone. A few hours later, no joke, on on Facebook, there's like a sponsored ad and it is uh the United States, like a map of the United States, and the font says No distance is too far for a son and a mother's love. And there is a heart on Colorado Springs and a heart on Columbia, South Carolina and like dots across the shirt. Like they had listened to my phone call and they knew what was going on. And they're like, oh, he misses his mom. We're going to get him. It's weird. That's a true story. I didn't make that up. And see, but the world is trying to sell us on all these things that, that try to satisfy us. But they can't. They're selling us on this idea of that. Hey, all these things can satisfy that void in your life, in your heart. When really, we know that the only the only satisfier is the Lord, right? And I was I was r- trying really hard to think of an example of this on like how the world has tried to sell me on a lie, and something that I bought into and uh, was was disappointed in, and I couldn't because I'm perfect. No, uh. That's not true. But I, I'm a little weary to tell this story because I know that it's going to offend some people. I know that times are weird and everyone's got an opinion. And so I really prayed about it and sought the Lord. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do it. But I know that in, in today's political climate, uh, it's probably going to ruffle some feathers. But I'm going to tell you a story tonight of, of heartbreak and of deceit and disappointment. So, the year is 2015. My wife and my wife and I—well, Laura and I were engaged at this time to be married. I was living in South Carolina. I had a motorcycle. Life was good, you know. And we decide to go out to California to visit some friends of ours, uh, the Nunleys, who I went to school with in Florida. And and Mike uh, Nunley and I became really good friends. And um, I'd always dreamed of going out to California, so. Uh, Me and Laura decided we were going to go out west. And up until this time, uh, I was born in New York, lived in South Carolina, moved to Florida for a few years. So I'd been all up and down the East Coast. And I think the furthest west I had ever been uh, was Ohio to visit my then-fiancé's family. And growing up in South Carolina, you hear stories of, of the Wild West. You know what I mean? And how slogans like, West is best... And like all these things. So I had this like preconceived notion that California was the end all be all of living. You know, and you hear stories about California and you hear about its rolling hills and its golden lands, uh, but most of all you hear about the cheeseburgers. <laughs> and if you know me and my wife, like we love food. It's like this weird, I don't think it's weird, but you might think it's weird. I think it's great. But what we do is anytime we travel to a new city, I like do hours of research on the best places to eat. And I make like a food list. And like, it's very comprehensive. There's like Asian food and Italian food and donuts and like all this stuff. You guys think I'm kidding, but like Jay and Jay's wife Bree and Laura and I went to New York this year, and I literally had like a two-page list of like 40 restaurants we had to try, and we were there for 48 hours. And so basically what we were doing is like we'd go to one place, and we'd try like one thing and split it four ways, and then we would just like Uber to another place, and we ate incredible food. It was awesome. And our trip to California is no different, right? Like I said, you know, I love cheeseburgers. And in growing up in the South, you hear about this fabled place called In-N-Out. Oh, you're going to be sad. Yeah, I'm sorry. And so for 15 years of my life, I had heard the hype. I said In-N-Out. This man's like, yes, dude. That's what I heard. And so naturally, In-N-Out was first on our list, right? So we head to San Francisco. We land. It's 65 degrees. There's a slight breeze blowing from the east. I made that up. I'm just kidding. I don't remember. But our friends come and pick us up. We get in the car, and my friend Mike, he's like, hey, man, like, what do you want to do? We're in California. It's your first time. You got to see the Golden Gate Bridge. You got to go to the Sutro Baths. We got to go see the Redwood Forest. I'm like, no, Mike, all that has to wait. We're going to In-N-Out right now. And he's like, literally he looks me dead in the face and he's like, why? And I was like, don't play games, Michael. We're going to In-N-Out and nothing you can do or say is gonna change my mind. So we go to In-N-Out, right? We drive up, the place is packed. There's a line in the drive-through. I'm like, oh yeah, this place is bumping. This is what I'm talking about. This place is about to be fire. There's so many people here. So we go inside, I go to the counter and the, you know, I'm waiting in line and the girl, she's like, hi, what can I get for you? And I was like, you tell me. <laughs> and she, there was like an awkward moment of, you know, there's like an awkward pause. And uh, I was like, look, if you had to eat here one time in your entire life and the odds of you coming back were very minimal, what would you order? And she's like, I got you. And I was like, that's all it was. So I paid for it. I didn't know what I got. I go to my table, I sit down, the anticipation's killing me. She comes out with like this tray and she puts the burger on the table and I literally look at it and I was like, oh, all right, this is like the, the fabled burger that's gonna change my life. But my, the stoke level inside of me was so high, I was like, this is, I'm gonna, we're gonna do it, it's gonna be great. So I take a bite and I'm immediately met with sadness, Uh, with anger. And this like overwhelming feeling of betrayal comes upon me. I literally looked at Mike and I was like, is this a joke? Like, is this, is this real life? Because my whole life I had heard that In-N-Out was going to be this like life-altering experience, right? Was it a decent burger? Yes. Would I eat there again? Probably. But what Peter is warning us to be careful about here is In-N-Out Burger. He's saying, be careful of the wolf in sheep's clothing. No, in all seriousness, in all seriousness. (laughs) Peter's saying that we need to be careful on the things that the world tries to sell us, right? And we need to remember that these things that the world puts so much value on will never satisfy us the way that the Word of God will. And we need to trust God and we need to desire God and his word over the social leadings of the world, right? Not believing the lies that the world tells us about in and out but embrace the truth of God and the satisfaction that comes from him. I'm done with in and out just so you know. All right. But this word that Peter uses where he says that we need to desire the pure milk of the word, okay? He's, he's using this word desire, and it's not to be taken lightly, okay? He's pulling it out of Psalm 42, saying that the deer, you know, he's panting for the water. And that when we desire the Lord, we need to have this desperate desire that our, our yearning for the Lord's word needs to be our soul's deepest desire. And we need to have this instinctive yearning for the word like a baby yearning for its mother's milk. And I really believe, guys, that the failure to either desire the word or receive the pure milk of the Lord, the word, is the reason that we have so many problems in individual Christian lives and in the church today. Because we're not doing, we're not willing to do our due diligence and spend time in the word, invest in our relationship with the Lord and allowing our hearts to be changed. We're just going through our daily routine as if God was nothing. But the truth is, is that we can't grow spiritually without the Word of God. Because it's the thing that nourishes our souls, right? And so in verse 4, Peter says, "'Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices.'" acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And Peter says that we're coming to him as to a living stone. And we know that Peter, or Petrus in the Greek, means little rock, right? So it's only fitting that he would throw in the stone reference in this chapter, I guess. But we see Peter's heart being moved here by what he's writing, right? This is Peter. This is like tough fishermen, swordsman, like, oh, you're going to come at Jesus. I'm cutting off your ear, boy. Like, that's Peter, right? And all of a sudden in this chapter, we see him start using the word "word precious, which is, it's a weird dichotomy there, right? And he doesn't just use it once. He uses it a few times. But the cool thing about that is it's obvious that Peter has tasted and seen the Lord's grace in his life. And he's experienced it and it has moved his heart to compassion, right? And Peter's picture here is that God is building a spiritual temple using living stones using us because we've come to know the ultimate living stone who's Christ and he says that this spiritual house right the spiritual house shows us that as much as Israel had the temple Christians also have one right yet the christian temple it's 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 spiritual it's not physical because we know that we are the mobile temple, right? And I'll never forget when uh, this concept uh, really came to life in my life, that that the thought of being the mobile temple. And we, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Israel last February. Awesome time. We had a ton of fun. Uh, but there was one day where we went into the old city, and we went to the Wailing Wall. And if you haven't ever seen the Wailing Wall before, it's this the wall that separates um, the Jewish quarter, basically, from the Muslim quarter. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of Jews who gather at this wall at all times of the day, and they pray. And they stick notes in the wall, they leave their prayers in the wall. We went into this museum, and the wall goes like 300 feet underground, and all through these catacombs, there's people praying, um, they they kind of separated it and separated it into men and women, but it's 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 really cool. It's insane. And the the thought process is is that where Dome of the Rock is, so basically like Dome of the Rock would be here, and then the Wailing Wall, and then the Jewish Quarter. Um, but the thought process is is that's as close as they can get to the holy where the holy of holies used to be, which is now. They think the temple, uh, Dome of the Rock, was built on the old temple mount. And so they can't go into the, the Muslim quarter because it's, it's unclean. And so that's as close as they can get. So that's their, their closeness, their proximity to the Lord, right? And we're standing there, and there's like a gate around it. And if you can go down to the wall, but if you want to go down to the wall, you have to put on a yarmulke and a shawl. And uh, my wife came up to me and she was like, hey, are you going to go down to the wall? And uh, I was kind of just like having my own little time with the Lord there. And I was like, I I don't know, I might, I might go down there. Um, And so I just remember my heart breaking in that moment and thinking like, man, they're, they're so close. You know what I mean? But they're missing the person of Jesus. And my heart literally broke in that moment. And I, I don't know if there was ever been a time where I heard the Lord's voice more clearly uh, than in that moment, but he said, you don't have to go down to the wall to pray for me to hear it, right? You don't have to follow the rules. You don't have to live by the regulations because I'm with you and I'm in you. You are the mobile temple and you have more freedom than you can fathom. And I just started to cry, right, obviously. But what's cool, uh, but what's cool about that is, is the message there, right? That we don't have to put on these things or live by these standards or do these things to experience and come into conversation with the Lord. But because he's in us and he's working and he's living in us, we can do it anywhere at any time, And I think the reason my heart broke in that moment is because of how often I take that for granted, right? Like how often I forget that. And I actually, I got this, like, this bird tattooed on my arm, this sparrow, as a reminder, because the sparrow is the uh, traditional tattoo for freedom. But it just always serves as that reminder of, like, the freedom that we have in Jesus, right? And the privilege that comes when we accept Christ as our Lord and our Savior, And what Peter does here is he calls Jesus the first living stone, and then we are called living stones. And we live and have freedom because we're connected with him who is the source of life. And he goes on to say that we are chosen by God and that we're precious. And I just want to remind everyone of that uh, in here tonight, that you are precious in the sight of the Lord, right? It's not what society, the label that society puts on you. It's not the label that your parents put on you, that your friends put on you, that your past sins put on you. It's who God says that you are, and he says that you are set apart, that you're chosen, that you are loved, and that you are precious. So remember that tonight. And Peter calls us to be a holy priesthood, and he says that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And see, if it's God who does the work of building, it's our job and it's our responsibility to do the job of offering sacrifices that are pleasing to him. And you may be thinking in here tonight, like, what the heck does that mean? Do I have to go out and give my firstborn calf to the Lord? No, we know that's not true. And what I want to do is I want to look at Psalm 51 for just a second and uh, read through what David has to say about this. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read there, but it's Psalm 51. And it's verse 16, and David says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices are of, of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These things, O oh God, you do not despise. And I think that's the reminder that we need tonight. You know, in the Old Testament, they relied on sacrifice, on priesthood, on religion, on tradition for cleansing. And what Jesus did is when he came, he came to fulfill the law and he came to grant us freedom from those things by atoning for them himself, right? We don't need a wall or whatever it may be to have access to the Lord, because right here, right now, we have the opportunity to press into the Lord and to meet with him, yeah? But here's the kicker. You know, Peter says that we have to come with a broken spirit and a patient heart. So what that means is when you come into the sanctuary, when you're in your car and you turn on worship music, in the mornings when you decide, or when you have quiet time, or when you're reading your Bible, or whatever it may be, like that you have to choose to press into the Lord, right? Choosing joy isn't going to be easy all the time coming in here after a hard day of work and choosing to press in and worship isn't, isn't easy all the time, right? And what Peter's saying here is that that's when the work begins, when we have to push through our crud to meet with the Lord. That when we're desperate for the Lord with our desire that God will meet with us. And see, as, as this royal priesthood, as this holy priesthood, we have this access to God, and we can offer up these spiritual sacrifices, which we now know are the fruit of our lips. Worshiping, coming from before the Lord with that broken spirit, with that patient heart. But that's the approach that we have to take. Because even though we are living stones, we can't build something great for God without God. Does that make sense? We can't build something great for God without God, because it takes being submitted to the will of God. It takes being willing to be used by God to build something great for the kingdom of God, because the authority that we have, we know, is ultimately only through the authority of who? Jesus. Okay, you got it. (laughs) He goes on in verse 6. He says, therefore, it is also contained in the scripture Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. And Peter starts uh, verse six and he says, "'Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone.'" And what he's doing is he's going back to this idea of us being built into a spiritual house, right? And if we're being built into a spiritual house, there's no doubt who our chief cornerstone is, right? It has to be Jesus. Okay, we're getting better. We're doing great. And Peter says that even though men have rejected Jesus, he has become the chief cornerstone in the work of building the church. And Peter says, therefore, to, who, to you who believe, he is precious, right? Though this chief cornerstone is rejected by the disobedient and unbelieving, undeniably, he has to be precious to the believer. And Peter's saying that Jesus needs to be precious in our lives. That the only way to know if a person is truly a believer is if Jesus is truly precious to them. This is kind of a cool side note, but I really like uh, Spurgeon and Spurgeon actually taught his first message uh, on First Peter 2.7, that passage that we just read and how Jesus is precious. And when they asked him, you know, hey, why did you, Charlie, Charlie, why did you speak? I think, I wish me and Spurgeon were friends, so I call him Charlie, but Charlie, why did you speak on that, that passage? He said, I don't think I could have preached on any other Bible passage because Christ was so precious to my soul at that time and I was in the flesh of my youthful love. I could not be silent when a precious Jesus was the subject. And ask yourself that question tonight, you know, is Jesus really precious to me? Am I moved by God's grace every moment? Is Jesus truly everything to me? Because if the answer is no, tonight is the night to realign your priorities. Come down for prayer at the end of service. And if you find yourself wanting to fall more in love with God and wanting to desire more of God, I would encourage you to read through the Gospels. Because when you truly study the person of Jesus, how he loved, how he cared for people, the things that he did, how he went out of his way, to show people that he loved them, you can't help but fall in love with his character, with how gracious he is. And I promise you that he will become more precious to you and you will fall more in love with the person of Jesus. And I love what Clark says on this. He says, the honor is bestowed upon you who believe. Right, the honor of being in this building, of having our souls saved through the blood of Christ and becoming sons and daughters of the Almighty God. That's the, pr- that's the honor of ours, right? The person of Jesus coming, dying, rising, redeeming, saving should always be precious to us. And we really can't allow our hearts to become hardened to the person of Jesus. And he ends verse 7 with this statement, and he says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And now there's a, there's a story with Solomon's temple, and the story goes like this. So they were quarrying all the stones for Solomon's temple at at a, a different place, and then they were transferring all the stones to the temple so that when they were building the temple, they were, they were so accurate and so precise with the crafting of these stones, that they could fit these stones together without any mortar, right? So they would just interlock so perfectly that they didn't have to use any binder to put them together. And so they were building the temple, and uh, this rock came, and they were trying to find it in the plans. They were trying to figure out what they were going to do with it, and they couldn't find the place for the stone, so they cast the stone away threw it, threw it in the trash basically, right? And so they continued to build the temple. They continued to work on it. And then it came to be that they were missing the chief cornerstone. They were missing the cornerstone of the temple. And so they called the foreman of the quarry and they were like, hey man, like I'm trying to find this stone so we can finish. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. They were trying to figure out how to finish the temple. And the the quarry foreman was like, I definitely sent that to you guys. You for sure have it. And uh, they were like, no, we don't have it. And so they started searching for it and they found the chief cornerstone was the stone that they threw in the trash, right? And they realized, wow, the stone that we threw away, the stone that we rejected was the one that we needed the most. And so it's an interesting prophecy, that experience, right? That the prophecy of what would happen with the temple became the fulfillment of Jesus. And the stone that was thrown away by so many is now the crux and the foundation of the temple, and Peter goes on in verse eight and he says, A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed appointed and we we know that Jesus is the cornerstone right he's the foundation of which the church is being built and yet he's also the stumbling stone and you might be thinking like well how is that but what happened is, is is the Jews stumble over the person of Christ because it's, they can't comprehend the Savior, the Messiah being crucified. And so it's a, it's a big point of tension for them. And it became that rock of offense that Peter's talking about because Jesus wasn't really what the Jews expected, they rejected him, right? And I think we see that a lot in today's society. You know, people searching for fulfillment, searching for something to fill them up, But because Jesus doesn't fit in the box of their expectations, they end up rejecting him and they miss out on all of the things and the purpose and the promise that Jesus brings into their lives. But the beauty of all this is that Jesus is really paving the way for Jew and Gentile to enjoy and rejoice in the kingdom of heaven together for eternity— but, but what happens is, is that the Jews don't think that Gentiles have an equal share in the kingdom of heaven, and so they, re- they rejected Jesus. And in verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Peter is saying that we are people destined for promise— that we're people of possession. And that possession, that promise, that promise is the inheritance that is the kingdom of God, right? And this is our purpose, that we show the praises of God's glory. That through our lives, through living our lives and our conduct, that we show that we're grateful that God has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And those of you that have been around the church for a while, you guys remember that song, Marvelous Light? Into marvelous light I'm running. Nobody? Out of darkness, out of shame. Sean, thanks, Sean. Appreciate you, man. You are the truth, you are the light. Anyways, well, good, because I asked Jay to to close with that song tonight, and uh, the bridge is lift my hands and spin around, so I expect 100% of crowd participation on that. So... That's, no, I'm just kidding. That's not true. (laughs) All right. But we see to start verse nine, he says, we are a chosen generation, right? And what Peter's doing is Peter's saying that because of Christ, the things that once exclusively belonged to the children of Israel are no longer the sole property of Israel, but they belong to us too. And these are now the property, these things are now the property of every Christian And we have them to a greater spiritual sense. And Peter's reminding us of who we are, right? The ESV says that we are God's special possession. And because we belong to him, we're special. And he's reminding us of our identity in Christ and of who we belong to. Have you guys ever owned anything in your life that is special to you and only you, but only because it's yours? You know what I'm saying? Like people are like, hey, why do you love that thing? And you're like, well, it's mine. I had two things. One, I'm not going to talk a lot about because it's embarrassing, but it was a blanket and I couldn't do anything without that thing until I was like 13 years old. And some of you guys are like 13 is old. And I know it is, yeah, I got over that. I still have it, but it's in the basement at least. (laughs) The second thing (laughs) in my adult life is... My dog. I have two dogs. One of them's name is Steve, and one of them's named Maggie. And I have a pick. That's Steve. Yeah, he's awesome. He's, yeah. But that's my special possession, I guess, you know. Uh, He's a Husky mixed, he's gone, with Malamute or something like that. And Laura and I got him off a Craigslist in a Burger King parking lot, but that is a story for another time. And, uh, boy, is he special. Um, so Steve is four now, and, uh, he has had cancer, which we got removed. It was like a mass on his eye. Really weird. Uh, he's had stitches multiple times. Uh, he has epilepsy. Um, what else? Oh, one time we were on a walk and he stabbed his eye with a yucca plant. And I bet you guys didn't know this, but there is such a thing as dog ophthalmologists and they are very expensive. Uh, our our, our uh, dog ophthalmologist's name is Steve as well. And uh, <laughs> see, you guys laughed, but he did not think that was funny at all. <laughs> he was really upset. Oh man. But he's been hospitalized multiple times. He takes eight pills a day to keep his seizures at bay. Cause when he has seizures, he like clusters. And so he'll have like 20 seizures in 24 hours. It's insane. Um, And people sometimes are like, man, you guys put up with a lot with that dog. I would have put that dog way earlier, put that dog down way earlier. But because he's my dog, like he's my special possession, right? And like how much more so are we God's special possession that he would want to provide for us, that he would want to care for us, that he would want to keep us safe. And the cool thing about the Lord is, is that God takes ordinary people like you and like me, and because he works in us, he makes us special. And Peter goes on in verse 10, and he says, Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. And guys, we were once without these privileges, right? And we hadn't experienced God, God's mercy, like Peter says, but now we've experienced God's mercy, and he calls us his people. And I think sometimes we we don't really understand uh, the relief and the sense of privilege that came to the Gentiles through this new covenant with the Lord. And Peter's message in this is so wonderful. He says, basically, you didn't used to belong, but now you belong to God and you're among God's people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And the purpose, guys, for, our, for these privileges, for, for these blessings that the Lord has given us, is not so that we can boast in them and lord them over other people, but it's so that we can proclaim the praises of him who has done great things for us. Amen? And how many of us know and agree that testimonies are powerful, right? Like you hear someone's testimony and it moves your heart. It rekindles that spark sometimes. And Peter harps on this in the next chapter, and he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, right? And Jesus isn't meant to be this thing that we keep bottled up inside of us. Jesus is meant to be shared. He's meant to be this beacon of light, this beacon of hope that we spread to others to lead them to salvation, And since it's true that we're believers, we have, you know, we just learned that we have this right. We are God's chosen generation. We have this new access to God. We're a royal priesthood. We have this, we live under this new government. We're a holy nation and we serve a holy God. We're his own special people. And guys, that should affect the way that we live our lives as believers on a daily basis. And we see Peter call us to that in verse 11. And he says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And now Peter is addressing us in our relationship with the Lord, right? And in first John chapter two it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does not, he who does the will of God abides forever. And what Peter's saying here is, guys, the world has its own systems, but we aren't a part of the world, right? We're pilgrims here, we're visiting, and we need to live by the standards of heaven and not by the standards of earth. Because the standards of the the world, they, they wage war against our souls. And Peter understands that these fleshly lusts tear us apart from the inside out, right? And to be a Christian means that we have to fight against these battles day in and day out as long as we continue to live and submit to those things of the flesh. And it's easy to see how the pursuit of the flesh really, really changes a person, and it can destroy our physical body, right? Whether it's addiction or stress or seeking fulfillment in any kind of way, you can see the effects that it has on people's minds, on their souls, on their spirit. But Peter says that we need to conduct ourselves honorably, among the Gentiles or among unbelievers. And this kind of godly living, guys, makes our, when we live in a way that's honorable among unbelievers who don't know God yet, we see God move through our character, right? We see people who wanted nothing to do with the Lord see the way that we live as an example and start to ask questions, and we see it play out on a daily basis in the media, in social media, what, I mean, whatever have you. But we need to be an example of love and of hope in the community. And when you look at the history of the early church, you even see this in the early church. You see people thinking that the early church was just another pagan religion where they're drinking blood and doing weird stuff. But over time, it was clear that Christians were not immoral. And it was shown in the way that they lived their lives and the way that they loved people and that people started to want to know more. And Peter ends the chapter with that to the day of visitation. And, and he's most likely here speaking uh, upon the Lord coming back, whether it's us you know, going home to be with the Lord or um, the second coming or whatever. But it's this idea that believers may be drawn into closeness with the Lord Seeing the way that we live our lives as Christians. And they would want to glorify God on that day instead of hiding or cowering at the thought of judgment. And so I just wanted to encourage you guys tonight to live a life that is a witness before the world. You know, people are going to say ugly things to you, people are going to give you dirty looks, they may mock you, but let your life be a witness when the Lord comes to take you home. You know, I don't know about you, but I want people to say like, wow, he was a great guy. <laughs> he was kind, he was compassionate. He loved people, but most of all, he loved the Lord. He did the right things. He cared about everyone. I wanna be more like him, ultimately pointing them to Jesus, right? Because guys, that's, that's a true legacy. It's not the money you have. It's not the possessions you have. It's not the car you drive. It's bringing people into the knowledge and the love of who Jesus Christ is and how he takes broken things and makes them into something beautiful. So if you're in here tonight and you realize, man, I haven't been living my life for the Lord. Now's the time to respond, to come down and get prayer. If you think, man, Jesus to me, yeah, he's just become another person. He's lost his preciousness in my life. Then come down and get prayer. If you've been living your life for something other than Jesus, it's time to come back. (laughs) If you're not craving the sustenance of the word and you want that desire to be rekindled, then come down and let somebody pray for you. If you're living a life outside of your identity in God, outside of of that, that love of the Lord, of being chosen, of being his special possession, then come down. Let's realign priorities. Are you living your life in a way that glorifies the Lord and leads people closer to Jesus? Because the truth is that the Lord wants to use you You're set apart. Despite what anyone tells you, you have a purpose. And that purpose is to know God and to make God known, yeah? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, just as we sang that that when we think we've lost ourselves, that you know where we are. That you pick up our pieces, that you turn us into something beautiful. God, and despite what the world says, despite what anyone says, Lord, that you see us as precious and you see us as your sons and daughters, that we're set apart to love you, to know you, to be in relationship with you. Lord, and for those of us in here who through uh, circumstance or situation have lost sight of who we are, of who you are, God, who have started to believe the lies of the enemy that we aren't worthy of anything, that there's no way that you could use us. Lord, we just pray against that in this moment. Lord, that you'd remind those of us in here who are struggling tonight with identity, that you love us, that we have a purpose, that we're precious in your sight, that our identity is in you and who you say we are, not in the lies that we tell ourselves. So God, as we worship, as we respond, we just pray for breakthrough, that the lies of the enemy would be drowned out by your marvelous light in the glory of God so that we can leave this place tonight, Lord, wanting to grow in a relationship with you, knowing who we are in Christ with a new fire. Lord, we love you. We're excited to see what you do. We thank you for your grace and your mercy tonight. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.